Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, please speak to us this morning through your Spirit that we might know him better, understand the way that he desires to work in our lives. Lord, let our minds and hearts be open to what you have to say and to be changed to be more like Christ, that we might live kingdom-first lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Please be seated. So all of us, especially when we're younger, but I think even as we get older, we are at times told that there is something good for us, but when we look at it, we are not so convinced that it is really good for us. For example, Lori was talking about that green color. Kids are often told by their parents that they need to eat their vegetables. It is good for them. I am not sure how this could be good for anybody. These are vegetables. This is some spinach. Now, to me, this resembles, I don't know, baby puke? Is that good, just mold? Um, I mean, this is gross-looking stuff. But we tell kids, it's good for you. You should eat this. Now, we are going to eat this. But you should eat this. How many times have you been told something is good for you, but you have some serious questions about whether it's really good for you or not? I once got fired from a job, and my boss who fired me said those words to me. This is good for you. And I wanted to say, how about if you put food on my table? We will see how good it is. We are told things are good for us, and yet at times we can't not figure out how that could possibly be. This morning, Jesus is going to tell us something is good for us. And if you are anything like me, forgive me kids, don't say this at home, only professionals can say this, Jesus is nuts. What he says, you're going to read with me, and like me, I'm sure you're going to think, how can that possibly be good for me? Open up your Bible, if you would. I will set the baby puke over here. To John chapter 16. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Jesus wants to say that something is good for us. Now, we are right in the middle of a huge section in John where Jesus spends four chapters talking to his disciples, and we're cutting in on it. We've studied part of it over the last few weeks, or I should say you have. I was on a boat somewhere. You all studied it. I was studying Alaska. Chapter 16 and verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Things are going to get bad. You're going to lose friends. You're going to lose family. They're going to kick you out of the places where you connect. Not only that, there are people that will take your life 
and they will believe they are doing it for God. Keep going. And they do these things because they have not known the Father nor me, but I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, when they're doing these things, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Now, do you blame them? Sorrow has filled your heart. He has just said, life is about to get ridiculously hard for you. You're going to be rejected and kicked out of places. You may even be killed. And on top of that, I'm leaving. I'm not going to be with you. No wonder sorrow has filled their heart. Wouldn't it fill yours? And then in verse 7, we get it. Here's his statement. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, just stop right there for a moment. Don't read the rest of it. Just think about that. How asinine is that statement? How could it ever be to our advantage that Jesus would go away? How could it ever be to our advantage for him to even say, this is to your good that I'm going to leave? All right, let's just make sure we all understand what the word advantage means, because I think Jesus may have a problem with the definition. Advantage. It means something that is good for you. It will benefit you. Hey, let me give you some examples. Kids, your parents buy you a new iPad, good or bad? Parents take it away, good or bad? It's not hard, right? Parents let you stay up late to watch a show, that is good. Parents tell you to go to your room, you don't get to watch a show all weekend, that is bad. My wife tells me I can stay up late and watch the NBA Finals. That is good. It's not that hard. And yet here is Jesus saying, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. How is that possible? How could it be for our advantage? It's definitely for theirs and for ours. How? Why? Keep reading. I'm going to finish that verse. He says, It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, I cannot explain to you in great detail the theology behind this because he does not explain it. I will give you a basic idea of what he is saying. I must complete my mission of dying and raising and ascending to the Father so that I can send the helper to you, so I can send the Spirit. If I don't do that, I can't send the Spirit. Again, I'm not gonna explain why. That's just, that's what he says. The reason it's to our advantage is because by him doing this, he will send us the helper. Now, I wanna do two things. I want to give you a little bit of information on the helper, and then I want to ask this question. 
For this to be real, the helper has to actually help, right? So my son, who has turned six, he has begun to learn that when we say we're going to clean something up, that actually means picking items off the floor and putting them away. Uh, It's taken a few years to learn that because when he was younger, what cleaning meant was picking an item up, getting distracted by it, and then playing with it while everyone else cleaned. What he's learning now is how frustrating that is because that's what his four-year-old brother does. And so as we are cleaning, or as they are cleaning, I will hear from downstairs, Killian's not cleaning! Because he's doing exactly what he used to do. He's just, oh, look at this toy. Maybe I should stare at it for a while. Or maybe I should get on the ground and play with it while everyone around me is cleaning. He's not really helpful when it comes to cleaning. Is the helper actually helpful? All right, that word, helper. It means advocate. Sometimes you will see the word translated as comforter. It means something along the lines of this. It is one who aids another. Quite often, outside of scripture in Greek, that word refers to a legal uh, term. A lawyer would be an advocate. It would be one who would be the lawyer for, and, and quite often, the poor or somebody who couldn't support themselves. So this is a person who stands on behalf of another. Interestingly enough, in John's first letter, if you go to John, 1 John, further on in the New Testament, he will use the same word to describe Jesus. He will call Jesus a helper, but in heaven. And it's very interesting to me that we have a helper in heaven with the Father who has sent a helper to be with us while we're on earth. All right? Both helpers. That's what he is, but here's the question. How does the helper help? Or does he? Go back into your text. How does the helper help? There's actually a lot of ways. We're only going to look at two of them because that's all the text does. There's a bunch of other texts. You can see other ways that the spirit or the comforter helps. Here's the two ways. Verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Here's the first way that the helper helps. He convicts the world. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? Here's what we know. Not long from now, from when Jesus is speaking these words, he is going to go on trial. He is going to stand before people, and he is going to be condemned. He's going to be condemned as sinful, as unrighteous. He will be judged a sinner and sent to the cross, and he will die. That will be his trial. You can read about it in all four Gospels, except for one thing. He will rise again, and he will ascend to the Father in glory. Now, what does that tell you about the trial? The world was wrong. Their verdict was wrong. What they said about him, what they condemned him for, was wrong. 
Because if they had been right, he could not have raised, and he definitely could not have ascended to be in the throne room with the Father. You cannot have sin with God. He was right. The world was wrong. Now, here's how Jesus says it. The Spirit is going to reverse the trial. The Spirit is going to convict. He uses that word. It means something like prove wrong. The Spirit is going to prove the world wrong in their case against Christ. Here's some of the details. Verse 9. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, Jesus spoke only the truth about who God is. He spoke the truth about life. He spoke the truth about eternity. They judged him a liar. Concerning sin, because they did not believe in him. Keep going. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. They believed him to be unrighteous. He could not have gone to the Father if he was unrighteous. By going to the Father, he proves that he actually was righteous, not them. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The judgment rendered against Jesus was the judgment of the ruler of this world. And he was overcome by the cross and the resurrection and the ascension. Therefore, all who hold his judgment are also wrong and will be judged accordingly. The Spirit comes to overturn the trial, to prove to the world that they were wrong about Jesus. He was not sinful. He was not unrighteous. He did not deserve to be judged and condemned as he was. But those who turn against him, they do. Now, how is that helpful to us? Once again, let me go back to the question. How is the helper helpful? How does that, that he's doing that, how does that help us? I'm gonna give you a couple of ways. Number one, I don't mean this in an arrogant sense. I don't mean this as something that you would ever hold over people's heads. I mean this for your heart, for your spirit, for your mind. If you believe in Christ, you are right. And everybody against you is wrong. Do you understand that the trial has already come to its conclusion? That Christ has been shown to be who he said he was by the very nature of him being with the Father and sending the Spirit. Which means as you go through life, and maybe it's sometimes, and don't tell me you've never felt this way, you feel foolish for your belief. That there are times when you think, this just feels ridiculous. Is this right? I don't have an answer for this. I really don't know how to respond to this. You're still right in your belief of Christ, even when you don't have the answers, because the trial's already over. He's already been shown to be who he says he was, and you can hold on to that. But secondly, in coming out of it, and this is really, really important, at the beginning of this service, we read from Acts chapter one and two, and this is what Jesus called us. And hear the word. He called us 
witnesses, not lawyers. The Spirit is the lawyer. We are the witnesses. What that means, it is not our job to prove other people wrong. It is not our job to fix all of the sin in this world. It is our job to pray and speak and act in the way of Jesus, trusting the Spirit to do all his work. And when we step out and do that and things fail, you don't have to go, oh, I'm so awful, I'm so terrible. If only I would have done this or that. If you are sharing Christ with somebody and they don't listen, you do not have to walk away from that conversation and going, if only I had more answers. I can't do that again because I didn't have all the things I could say. It is not our role to prove things. It is our role to witness to them. It is our role to trust that the Holy Spirit is at work in the world so that when we share Christ faithfully, when we pray, when we speak out, when we act as we are able to, that is our calling. And then we let the Spirit work because in this world, there is much to be prayed for. There is much injustice. There are many children who are abused and have no food. There are many women who are mistreated and sexism and racism and injustice are rampant in our culture. Jesus does not stand for those things. He stands against them. And when we do that, we are doing our role in the power of the Spirit. There is a, a gentleman in Los Angeles, California, whose name is Muhammad Bazik. And he has something about him that is different, at least according to child services, different from everybody else in Los Angeles. This man fosters children, but he only takes children who are terminally ill. Those are the only kids he takes. And when the agency gets kids like that, they call him because he know, they know he'll take them. And this, this, these are his words, and he has every right to say this. These are not just words because this man has watched 10 of his children die that he fostered. And this is what he said, assuming the internet will work. Boy, talk about ruining a moment. <laughs> okay. Feels like my kids. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? This is what Zeke said to them in an interview. The key is you have to love them like your own. I know they are sick. I know they are going to die. I do my best as a human being, and I leave the rest to God. That's exactly our role. The world is sick, and it is dying. 
And you cannot change that. What you can do is you can be faithful and you can share the love of Christ. You can pray and you can speak out and you can act and then you can leave it to God. That's our role. His role is to prove the world wrong when the time comes and to work in people's lives. Our role is to witness. And that leaves us with just one other thing that comes out of this, and it ties in to my last point, and it is this. If everything I've just said is true, if everything that Jesus said is true, then the most important thing that you can make a decision about in your life, kids, listen to this, the most important thing you can make a decision about in your life is who you think Jesus is. School is very important. Science, English, social studies, all of that is very significant. It will determine what your future looks like. However, there is nothing more significant than who you say Jesus is. Adults, our jobs are really, really significant. I mean, when that guy said, you're fired and it's for your own good, that put a little cramp in my style. That really made me like, what am I gonna do now? It's really important. However, nothing is more important than who you say Jesus is because everything rides on that for eternity, everything, which is why the next thing is so cool. Keep reading, back in John, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't say everything he wanted to say? There was more, but right now you can't bear them. When the spirit of truth comes, and here's the second way the helper helps, he will guide you into all truth. All right, now when I read that, I got really excited, okay? Because, okay, just think about this. Parents, how many times do you wish you had some idea of what was really going on inside your kid's head? Well, he's gonna lead you into all truth. So if you just pray about it, he'll give you the truth. Kids, how many times do you wish you knew what was going on in your parents' heads? Why in the world they were saying the things they were saying and doing the things they're doing? Just pray. The Spirit will lead you into all truth. Wives, how many times do you want to know what's going on in your husband's head? Stay out of there. You don't want to know. I mean, really, just even if you can pray about it, just leave it alone. Next time you go take a test, kids, you don't need to study. Just sit down and pray. All truth will be given to you. And if you get anything wrong, just go tell your teacher that he or she is actually wrong because the Spirit gave you the truth. Yeah, don't do that, please. That's wrong, totally wrong, big X through that. Here's the point. When he says he will lead you into all truth, that is clarified in the rest of the text. If you think the Spirit's gonna teach you how to change a tire when you get a flat, you're in trouble. Okay, call AAA, not the Spirit. 
Right? There are things the Spirit is not going to share with you because that's not the point. Right? Keep reading with me. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. There is one truth that the Spirit will give you. Jesus. His role is to declare to you more about the Son of God. To teach you who he is, how to glorify him, how to live for him, how to serve him. He teaches you the truth about Christ. There is this really neat book. It's the first book that my son read. It's called Hug. Hug. And I'm just going to read a little bit of it to you, okay? Just a little bit. Hey, page one, hug. Page two, hug. Hug. Page three, nothing, just pictures. Page four, hug. Page five, hug. Page six, no, hug. Hug is the only word in the book, right? Now, there's lots of great creatures and illustrations, and there's giraffes, and there's monkeys and elephants, and can I tell you what you learn about monkeys and elephants and giraffes from this book? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. You learn one thing from this book. Hug. (laughs) It's a beautiful thing to do. Hug. You learn one thing from the Spirit, Jesus. You learn about Jesus. He takes from what Jesus says and he declares it to the people of the Lord. One of the things the helper does to help is to help us understand Jesus, to help us follow Jesus, to help us be Jesus people, to help us live in the kingdom. Which is really awesome considering the most important thing you can make a decision about in your entire life is Jesus. And the helper helps us know him better. How? Once again, I ask the same question. Is that helpful? Um, Just knowing that may not be all that helpful. How is that helpful? Let me tell you how it works to the best of my ability. Number one, you're gonna learn all about this over the summer, okay? Because we're gonna study Ephesians. Number one, the Spirit works through the prophets and the teachers and the pastors that he gives to the church. The words that are declared to you, please let the Spirit work in your life. Be open to what the Spirit wants to do in your life because this is one of the primary ways the people of God learn truth. It is the 40 or so hours that were put into teaching you these verses, that the study and the prayer and the listening and everything else so that I could come and do my job, which is to teach. And it's more than just trying to make you laugh. It's more than just trying to entertain you. Hey, can I tell you something? If all you get out of a message is entertainment, the person up here has failed. Or you have failed because you weren't listening to the Spirit. But more than likely, it's the person up here who decided that entertaining you was more important than teaching you. Now, I'm guilty of that sometimes because I want to be up here 
And I want all of you to be going, oh, that's so awesome. Oh, I'm laughing at that. Oh, that was great. Um, That's not the point. The point is to help you understand God and to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with your life. And sometimes what that means is you get to laugh, and sometimes what that means is you got to pay attention a little bit harder because what I'm saying is not quite as funny or entertaining. But the number one way that God seems to work through his people is he gives prophets and priests and teachers and pastors to equip the saints. And that's part of this equipping right now. Number two is his word. Listening to the word. Reading, meditating, thinking on. And I can tell you that while you're doing that, you need to test your interpretations. How do you test your interpretations? You do it by comparing it to what others have said that are traced, trust. I was gonna say three words at one time. Faithful and trustworthy in the church. You test it by saying, does this honor the Lord Jesus Christ or not? Because everything in scripture properly interpreted honors the Lord Jesus Christ. If it doesn't, it's not properly interpreted. Number three, is there margin in your life as well as intentionality to actually listen to the Spirit? Now, I'm going to tell you this because I know from personal experience this doesn't always feel true. The Spirit of God indwells you. The Spirit of God lives in you. But we have the capacity to ignore the Spirit. The way Paul says it in Ephesians, we have the capacity to grieve the Spirit. Do you have the margin in your life to listen? Are you even asking the question at times? When you step into a decision to say, Spirit, help me right now to honor the Lord Jesus with what I'm about to do. And then to step out in faith. Do you know, this is just, might sound informational, it's more than that. Do you know that Acts chapter one is the very last time they ever draw lots? Drawing lots was a way in the Old Testament to determine God's will. It never happens again after Acts chapter one. Do you know what happens in Acts chapter two? The spirit comes and indwells the people. So they never have to draw lots again. Instead, in Paul's words, they walk in the spirit. That's what we can do with the helper's help. So, it is good that Jesus went to the Father because by doing so, he gives us the helper. And the helper can help all of us at once. And he helps by proving the world wrong and giving us the freedom just to be witnesses, not lawyers. By giving us the security and the courage of knowing that It actually is right, even when we struggle. And he helps us by letting us know Jesus better when we are willing to listen to him and to follow. Will you listen and follow the Spirit? Because he has been given to be our helper. And you know what? It is possible. Um, I can't tell the future. I can't get in the way of God's plans. But it is possible that I would not be here today if that guy hadn't fired me. The reason he fired me, he wouldn't tell me this for a year. I'm not sure he even totally knew. I think he was dealing with it himself. I mean, the way he did it was just terrible. 
Like, yeah, you're fired. Why? Uh, it's just not working. Except everything we're doing is successful. How is it not working? Well, what he told me a year later is, you're a better preacher than you are a music leader. I didn't want you leading music anymore. You need to go like work on your gift. I was leading music at this church. I was the worship leader. And I have no idea what would happen. That was in 1999. I have no idea what would happen if he did or did that. What would my path be? It actually was for my good. Um, sometimes the things we think that aren't for our good, especially when they come from the Lord, they actually are. Let's trust the helper. And pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that your Son would give everything that we might have forgiveness and life eternal, and that we might have the Spirit. Lord, help us be Spirit filled people who don't just give lip service to the Spirit, but who live in the Spirit, who recognize that He is our helper. But let us be those people that we might live for the Lord Jesus, who might know our King better, serve him with all of our hearts and minds and souls, and live kingdom-first lives. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen.